Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where we find the perfect algorithm to determine the exact amount of ice cream that qualifies as too much during a summer heat wave. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I actually help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you absolutely love. You know, every month or two, I get a call from a client that goes something like this. Let's say my biggest competitor just got 50 kajillion dollars in funding. My team is freaking out and I don't know what to tell them. And I always start with the same questions like, okay, how are you feeling? And it's one of two things. Usually it's either I'm okay or I'm freaking out too. And usually both of those mean the same thing. And they mean I am scared less. And, and I get it. I've been there and I've had that happen where a big company is acquired or a partner or a big round of funding. And that press release hits you like a truck. The thing is, if all it took was funds, then every VC backed company would kill it and the bootstrappers would all be doomed. But that's not how it works, is it? There are a lot of reasons for hope. And let's talk about just one of those today. Strategy and execution. That's what separates the giants from the wannabes. It's a dividing line between success and the tech graveyard. Both are vitally important. Strategy seems to get more press. I mean, you can get a degree in strategy, but execution then is kind of just a foregone conclusion. Just follow the strategy, right? Yeah, that's the way we drew it up on the battle plan. So that's the way the battle goes. And we all know that that isn't how it works. Maybe it does in a classroom. A solid plan is still important, but nothing beats great execution. Now, we've had some really good cooks on the show. And is everyone a great cook? I mean, are you? And some may say yes, some would say no. Some would just laugh at that. You know, are you a master chef? No, probably not. Now, if we give 10 people a recipe and ingredients, we do TV shows with this. I give 10 people a recipe and ingredients, and, you know, that's like a strategy. Will they all make the same thing? Will it be close? Maybe. Will there be variance in the quality? Of course. You know, what's different in that? Because they had the same ingredients. They had the same strategy when they started. And that is the execution. And just like the recipe, strategy is important. It's the guide. You know, it's like the the North Star. It's what we're following. It's where we're trying to get to. But there are lots of steps along the way. And a good cook knows which of those are most important which can be done out of order, which can be skipped entirely, and which ones are absolutely critical to success. And it's very much the same in business. I mean, 10 companies could have the exact same resources, the same funding, and often they do, and outcomes will vary widely. So you get one VC that funds one, one VC that funds another, and then you got all these things going on, but they're kind of in the same marketplace. One does really well, and the other nine just go away. And is it because one got more money? No, a lot of times it's because they either didn't get funds or they got less or it was structured differently or they just executed extremely, extremely well. 
A few years back, at a time when big players like Amazon and eBay were already dominating the e-commerce market, three guys, Toby, Daniel, and Scott, had a very different strategic plan. They're going to get into e-commerce, but they didn't want to be just a giant marketplace. They actually wanted to serve as a backbone for e-commerce. And their goal was to empower businesses by giving them the tools to set up their own online stores. Their planning, though, was just one part of the story. The magic was really in the execution of their vision. Instead of going head-to-head with Amazon, eBay, and the other established marketplaces, they focused on their unique value proposition, and that was helping businesses become more independent and fostering an entrepreneurial spirit. It was a very different take than some of the marketplaces that were out there at the time. Had a super, super easy-to-use interface, uh, brain-dead simple, Seamless third-party integrations, which are notoriously difficult, and super great customer support. I mean, some of the best. And their company, one that you would know, called Shopify, successfully democratized the world of e-commerce. And by 2021, they were hosting more than a million businesses in 175 countries. And they made uh, $3.5 billion in profit last year doing it something that other people thought was just completely unscalable. Those, those little companies out there, you're never going to make money doing that. That's, that doesn't scale. Three and a half billion dollars, that's profit. That's not even revenue, that's profit. That's pretty good. Can you compete with large, well-funded companies? Yes. Can you dominate and win? Absolutely. You know, in my experience, funded companies, a lot of times they just do dumb things. Some of them do smart things, but uh, we have a whole office full of furniture from funded companies that that bought some really, really nice stuff. And uh, we got it really, really cheap as they did dumb things and they're not around anymore. And it was just one of them. Stay lean, stay scrappy, outmaneuver, out-execute, and outsmart them. Being given all the ingredients doesn't make the cake. Your execution can make an amazing cake. If outstanding execution is your jam, check out today's sponsor. It's the book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. Why do some SaaS companies achieve explosive growth while others just kind of sink into the depths? Why do some solutions inspire fierce brand loyalty while others are just interchangeable? And what can we as SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your SaaS is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or your favorite book source. Our expert guest last week was Z Jeremick, founder and CEO of Mass Engines. Z is a master revenue mechanic and all about building revenue growth engines for SaaS companies to harness the full power of existing marketing and sales investments. You don't have to go buy a whole bunch of other stuff. It's using what you have really, really well. This episode will add horsepower to your sales machine for sure. And our founder last Tuesday was Nate Grayick, founder of Sticky. It's an awesome SaaS platform that helps creatives book more clients. 
We talked about SaaS founders reimagining their marketing approach, going beyond the surface to unlock more predictable growth and selling effectively without cringy tactics. It's more, oh, and less, ugh. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and check them out because they are both amazing. Great, great guests. Fantastic insights. My guest this week is Dan Fernandez, co-founder of multiple SaaS platforms, including SoStock.com and Thomason.com. With over 15 years of experience managing and working with overseas coding teams, he's able to effectively communicate what tasks need to be done and when to get stellar results. Welcome a guy who always makes sure expectations are in place and brings projects in on time and budget, Dan Fernandez. Hey, Dan, welcome to SAS Fuel. Hey, nice to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background, multi-time SAS founder and now SAS Pathway. Yep. Uh, so background, uh, kid from the Midwest, basically started in college uh, with no technical experience. I actually started, I uh, had an operations management background. I uh, did ran a paint contracting business in college, kind of sparked my entrepreneurial spirit. And then from there, I had ended up meeting my business partner uh, for our first kind of technical venture, I guess, so to speak. Uh, in college, two dumb kids in a dorm room. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I was really good at, yeah, I was really good at operations. I saw that he kind of started to have some of the tech experience, marketing, et cetera. And the combination, kind of the yin and the yang of his ADD brain combined with my OCD operations kind of had started me down this path of getting into tech. And we started up an agency. It started with web design, then molded into social media, then molded, like it kept kind of evolving to a point to where we started building our own actual software. And that's what really jumpstarted me into SaaS. We were doing, building basically processes and software internally that our clients were using, especially for search engine optimization. And then we started realizing that people would actually pay for this. And that's what really brought us to the, the forefront of going, oh, this SaaS model is amazing because, right, you have a better income stream and you can actually sit back and focus on making the product better, et cetera. And that's what started my first SaaS company, which was, uh, it was a company called Thomason that was all about mm -hmm. influencer marketing and connecting uh, influencers and brands. And then that eventually spawned the, the next SaaS uh, product that I that I jumped into, but to start, I really had no technical experience beyond a, you know, trying to be an entrepreneur and honestly being a dumb college kid that didn't know any better, which is <laughs> ignorance is bliss when you're an entrepreneur, right? It is. It is. It's really kind of you know approaching things with that beginner's mind. Totally. And and having a, a co-founder like that, I think it, it's really interesting. Uh, some of the, the best success stories. Are that where we have two yeah. people that are very, very different, uh, different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. A great book called Rocket Fuel, uh, Gino Wickman, and he talks about that. Somebody that's an artist and somebody that's uh, you know an operator, and you put those two things together, either one on their own, and and they don't do a whole lot, but you put them together, and that's what creates the rocket fuel uh, for businesses. And was that totally that true in your case with you and your co-founder? Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of look at it more as. Uh, a three-legged stool in in the the realm that where where I guess this rocket fuel happened 
the yin and the yang, right, is exactly what you're talking about, yeah. where he, um, my other business partner, he was really good at marketing, creative. And, and I say, like, to your point, you have the creative or the rainmaker, right? And then you have the operator, the executor. Right. But there's also kind of like this one other leg of the stool that, especially in today's environment that I've seen is super critical, where the rainmaker or the marketer or that creative person sometimes doesn't want to be front of house, right? Like yeah. I think of a restaurant, like the host, the, the face of the business, the person that's going to kiss babies, that's going to go on social media, that's <laughs> going to do all those kind of things. That's the industry expert that you can now wrap a story around is really where I found our rocket fuel, right? Where I was an operator, I was cool building processes, working myself out of a job, like making sure everything clicked so that, you know, every day I knew what was running smoothly or how to look at analytics, et cetera, the operator, the typical operator. Then we had the marketer, the creative person running pay-per-click, figuring out, coming up with the crazy ideas and kind of trickling down into the operator realm. But we had this third kind of tip of the spear that was the industry expert or the, um, the like I said, front of house, kissing babies, doing all that kind of stuff that we could, the marketer could push them out there because a lot of times our marketer didn't want to go to a conference, didn't want to speak in front of people. They enjoyed yeah. the marketing aspect of it. But when it come, came to, in this day and age, being the front of the house, that was not their, their bag. They wanted to sit back, look at marketing analytics, do creative, do graphic design, do all that kind of stuff. But then when we actually got that front of house, we were able to accelerate so much quicker because they were able to carry through, you know, it was a great circle. It was a three-legged stool. It was Love whatever it. analogy, you want, to, you know, you want to think about it where, yes, you can balance on two legs, but man, you got that three-legged stool. You have every aspect of not only marketing, because then you have social media, you have all those kind of components. You can go to conferences, you can do all that traditional stuff. You have then your, your marketing team that can kind of sit back, look at your analytics, that can run pay-per-click, that can feed content and feed information or vice versa, kind of that push and pull of content subject expert can talk about it, feed it to marketing. They can craft the message. They can do blog posts, SEO, everything. And then all of that circles back around to operations of just sheer execution. How does the information flow? Who goes what? How do we measure it? How do we rinse and repeat? And the combination of those three things is really where I found uh, and was able to get rocket fuel. So now in any new venture that I look for, it's either the one person has to do all three jobs and then start to figure it out, or it's I look to partner with people that are, you know, that have those strengths. And then it doesn't matter what industry we get in, you know, you'll have the subject expert and then you'll have the other two pieces that can really accelerate. So that's what I've found worked really well for myself. That's awesome. How do you know when you have a good co-founder, a good partnership? What makes that? Um, <laughs> there's a couple different things. One is pushback on each other and the ability to call BS on each other uh, without taking offense. So a lot of times uh, having that thick skin where I would, I never hesitated to, to call bullshit on my partner. Like that's a terrible idea, or this is a great idea. And to be able to have candid conversations without taking it personally and thinking they don't like you or, 
any of the other silliness that sometimes I've seen comes with a founder and that ego and whatnot, just putting that aside and understanding that sometimes you don't know anything yet. You can be passionate about it, but being able to have a logical conversation come out of it and be able to go, okay, that was a great conversation. We yelled a little bit. We, we kind of, you know, got into a bit of a spat, but we high-fived, we have a direction, and we can move on. So that's what I always looked for was other founders that could take my criticism, but that were also willing to give me criticism so that we could continue to learn. And I always say progress over perfection. It's an old saying, but that's what I always focused on. And I wasn't ever able to make progress without being able to feel candid with my other founders. So that for me is what I always looked for is a thick skin, I guess, and honesty and yelling, being able to yell at each other. (laughs) Yell at each other and then come out of the room as friends united. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, what what do they say? Like uh, a friend when you're down will console you and a best friend will make fun of you and then pick you up. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. You know, like that, I look for the best friend. I look for somebody that's going to talk, talk back to me, but then still be, you know, a foxhole guy, like be willing to, to still move, move the needle or move the ball forward. Yes. Yes. Well, tell me about SAS Pathway. Uh, What is that all about? Yeah. So we've, we've kind of just started this and SAS Pathway is, is, is meant to help individuals that are trying to get their idea out of their head and they know that it's kind of in the direction of SaaS software, whether it's an app, whether it's, I mean, AI is crazy now, you know, it's AI or, you know, this kind of techno, this, this tech business. uh, But I mean, obviously people are listening here, know what SaaS are. They, they know they want to build a SaaS business. Like they are, I had somebody come to me that was, medical device sales rep, and they had an idea for a software as a service that was within the medical device industry that could help accelerate these medical device companies, give them better reporting, blah, 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 without getting too deep into details. And it was about how do we take that idea? You're obviously, you're the industry expert, you know what's going on. How do we fill the other legs of the stool to start to not only build your software, whether it's leveraging AI, I mean, there's every day stuff is advancing yeah. so crazy fast that, I mean, you can literally now rip a SaaS business out in two, three weeks if you have your marketing in order, you have some of the other front end pieces. The, the ability to build a piece of software to, M, you know, the cliche MVP is insane now. So being able to take that, yeah, take that idea, put it onto paper, actually know the steps in order to go from the hardest part is zero to one, like actually get it online so you can start marketing it, so you can start executing, so you can start iterating and learning. That's really what SaaS Pathway is about is like that zero to one, because I've talked to so many people that are like, I got this great idea, but they don't know where to start. They they have all these ideas and, oh, that would be amazing. And then it just kind of falls away. Being an operator myself, I know how to execute. I know how to get it that idea onto paper and actually have a tangible good that now you can start to have a business. You can start to make money. You can start to do the things that 
sometimes seem impossible or that mountain that you have to climb or whatever other analogy, the custom house that you have to build. You have this great vision, but you need to work you know, through an architect and then a contractor. And how do you do all those steps to get it to where now you have a house that you can design, that you can flip or sell or, you know, et cetera. But that's really SaaS pathways, zero to one, getting that idea out of your head. And how do you do that? And I help walk you through, give you different tools. We do one-on-ones, all those kind of things. So a lot of that is, as I understand it, like no-code, low-code type applications. Exactly. How yeah. did that change the development cycle? To, to give you an idea, we have a, we have a new new customer, the client, and they wanted to build something in the service industry and looking at uh, uh, basically the software that would have taken us, you know, typical, you know, four to six months, something like that, go in, make the database, build it out, do all these kind of things. Um, I mean, we're able to do it in like two, three weeks, maybe four weeks, you know, sometimes you're able to do it in one. If, if you can really boil the idea down to what is the one feature? And that's a lot of times what I, what I coach, right? Like, what is the one thing that we know your market wants? Obviously, there's, there could be 20 other components to it, but what's the one thing that somebody's gonna, is gonna buy? And when you you are using low code, no code, you're able to build that quickly and have a lot of the foundational stuff there push it out there, market it, and also validate, is that actually the one thing? Yeah. Or are you getting feedback that, well, that's neat, or nobody's signing up for it, or whatever. You're able to iterate so much quicker and have a tangible good into the market that you can truly test quicker, cheaper, you know, faster. And that doesn't mean that developers are going away. It's just the type of developer that you're looking for. And eventually, who knows, maybe you get out of low code. Like I've seen, you know, the evolution of it to where you've got it to this giant behemoth of an enterprise level software, and maybe it needs to get out of low code and it needs to evolve. And so, but you usually don't start there. So how do you start? And low code, no code, or even just frameworks. Sometimes they're, you know, the no code isn't going to cut it. And there's a framework, Ruby, you know, Laravel. I mean, there's a billion out there that you can leverage, but then you know how to, what tech to look for, what development team to look for, like all these kind of things that I can help, you know, that we coach you on as well as how to even, when you don't have a, uh, no code, because a lot of time no code has a lot of the, the UI built into it. Right. So you don't have to think about that or the feature set is just focusing on the main feature. But how do you focus on, you know, like pricing models or how is somebody going to register? Are we going to use the, we're going to use Google sign in? Are we going to, you know, like all these little nuances, we kind of walk through how to architect that and how to think about some of these things as well as with templates that we've had or questions that we can go down that sometimes escape people that can add so much time to development that, you know, sometimes you just don't think of silly, like an admin area. How are you going to administrate the site, right? Right. Like, how are you going to manage users? What if somebody contacts you and they lost access to their email? Can you reset the password from the admin area? Or what are the security protocols of that? Or like all these little nuances, the goal of SaaS Pathway is as an entrepreneur, to have a consultant, to have a, a voice to talk to so you don't feel stuck in the mud. Because 
as an entrepreneur myself, I would go through a process and I'd be like, ooh, I'd get to a fork and I just need somebody to bounce an idea off and validate and go, yeah, right. you know what? You should probably just do this and then I can keep going. But I just sit there and stew in my own just nonsense instead of continuously moving it on. And that's where a lot of people have also found value is just, I've gone through it before. You've right. gone through it before. You know, to be able to just talk to somebody that's gone through it before and say yes or no frees you up to continue your process. And that's sometimes all you need is just to keep going and you get stuck in the mud with not knowing. And it's it's that simple of a yes or no answer or just giving context and, and direction helps keep people moving the, the ball forward. Right, right. Really understanding, you know, is, is this a decision that is, does it have a major impact? Is this exactly. a big decision or is it something, you know, should I be stressing over this or not? And a lot of times it's no. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's a pretty simple decision one way or the other. And, and it, it's not going to mm -hmm. matter for, for quite a while. Totally. And even if it is, yes, to give context to that so they can continue yeah. to think forward through it. Like, oh, you know, my developer told me that we should go do a Lambda database and whatever. You know? <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, yes, but here's the pros and the cons of it. Make your decision accordingly. You know, do you want to be able to, to scale at some point? You know, like here, here are the pros and the cons. Think about it from a business standpoint. Right. You can always fix this later. You know, like, are you just trying to get to market? That's probably something we don't have to worry right. about. But if you can do it more efficiently right now, yeah, you're going to save yourself money down the road. So just being able, like, that's an, that's a, one that I, I heard the other day, but it's technology's advanced. Uh, I sound like an old guy shaking. Technology's <laughs> advancing so quick. It is. It, it is. You know, it's 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 more about that I found the consistency and moving the ball forward and just being able to, and that's what the other thing with SaaS pathway, just being able to talk to somebody that's gone through it has is insanely valuable. And it was for me whenever I would get stuck. Like when we were raising money, I'd never raised money before. And we were in uh, a group of people that had done that before. And I was able to bounce ideas off. And granted, I paid for that consultation, but paid dividends in the end because we exited because right. we raised money and we went through the process and it was the right time. They, We weren't thinking it was the right time, but they looked at us and said, well, yeah, you have these things. This makes sense. And I wouldn't have known if I didn't have somebody to bounce that idea off of. Yeah, super helpful. Uh, you mentioned technology changing so fast, and even just low code, no code. I've had developers who are like, yeah, "Yeah, that's that's a fad. It's not it's not real development." Like, well, hold on a second. You know, it totally. wasn't that long ago you wrote everything manually, and then we had frameworks and we totally. have functions that you're calling, and your code libraries. Totally. And this is just the the next iteration mm -hmm. of that. And, but it, it really puts things in the, the reach of people like, you know, you like me that are, are not necessarily technical. We can go build things that mm -hmm. we'd never be able to do on our own using things like that. Because so much of it. Exists. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and I mean, even right now that I'm seeing a lot of no code um, value is in the not only building the sat like the the basic framework and whatnot but in being able to build marketing 
material and landing pages and content quickly to vet your idea. Yes. Right. So you can, I can tomorrow leveraging AI and, and AI is such a broad term, like using, you know, low code that's leveraging AI, that's kind of connecting some of the dots with myself and get a domain name, get a couple landing pages up, build a sales funnel and market and make some videos, do some things, leveraging Fiverr, some outsourcers and whatnot, and put up three, four different ideas, market them, and then go, ah, this one, this one's got some people that are actually interacting. And then now I can start to dump money into development, into no low code, no code developers that maybe I don't have time. There's a billion people that love low and no code that are developers by trade, but have kind of adopted that mentality of speed to development. And I've always said speed kills. I mean, it doesn't sports, it doesn't development, it doesn't business. Speed kills, kills your competition, kills like any any problem you have, if you can resolve it quickly or you can build quickly or you can execute quickly, you're going to be better off. And low and no code allows you to validate and get things out there way, way faster, in my opinion, before you start spending crazy money on building everything in-house and bringing things in-house. And yeah, so it's, I'm with you and developers I see evolving. And, you know, at first, like when ChatGPT came out, they're like, ah, you know, you can't write code. And then all of a sudden you're like, dude, just ask it a question. See what it gives you. Like yeah. it takes you two seconds, like quit being so stuck in your ways. And I find myself like everybody gets stuck in there. I do too. Do it too, takes yeah. me time. I, but once you kind of get over that hump and I like doing things efficiently. So a lot of times learning drives me nuts because I'm not doing it as fast as I want, but I force myself to do it. And knowing that, all right, this might take me six times as long to learn it. But once I have it, I'll be six times as fast as I was before. Right. So on the backside, you know, you're able to figure something out. And especially with like AI and auto chat GPT, I had some conversations with developers recently and, you know, just understanding what is even auto chat GPT? What is its capabilities? What is it? Because you see so much stuff on social media where they talk about how it's going to replace everybody and all this kind of stuff. And it's going to replace a lot of things, but it's understanding what it does and then how to the nuances of where you can let, you know, can it, can it post to Twitter? Well, yeah, but you have to know how you need a couple extra steps. So Anyway, that's a rabbit hole that I mean we could we could go down for hours. So, how do you think AI is is changing technology, and uh, you know how? What are you seeing as a founder? So, that's where I was really struggling for a long time, and probably these past two three months as ChatGPT and all these iterations and everything, I was really floundering and going, "Oh my god, is my value going away?" right? Is my superpower going away? Is my ability, because I I love SaaS, I love that business creation and whatnot. 
And because I was seeing a lot of the things that I had really built, that I had known, that the experience has taught me of like processes and all this and chat GPT is knocking some of that stuff out from underneath me, rightfully so, because it was just busy work, right? So it's able to analyze, it's able to summarize, it's able to do a lot of these components that if I can shift my mind frame, and to me, I was, I feel like a founder again, like I'm, I'm kind of on shaky ground, like I don't know what's next. I don't, I'm scared to, you know, scared and excited and all those emotions that you have when you're starting a business. Because for the longest time as a SaaS founder, like I kind of knew if I had an idea, I knew how to execute, I knew how to do it. But AI is kind of flipping it on its head where I'm going, well, do I really need to do my common process anymore? And going through SaaS pathway and building this course, I've started to realize that even some of my existing mantras and direction and how I do things have gotten expedited. So how do I leverage AI to become faster, be, to become right. quicker? And it's still scary and it's changing every day and whatever, but that's really where I've started to, and it sounds probably, I'm sure you hear it all over the place, like AI is going to accelerate humans. It's not going to replace humans. Correct. And that's, that's to me, I'm seeing value in like data summarization. Yes. Email summarization, like being able to digest a lot of information, whether it's written, whatever, and summarize it so I can take action and then I can go forward. Like that to me is the value of AI right now. Now I'll probably talk to you tomorrow and it'll be something new. So just understand it's constantly going to evolve. And I I don't know where it's going to be when this podcast, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, this, when this goes, right, it could change in yeah. two, three days. So who knows? Yeah. But that's where I see it as of this moment that I'm standing in front of you. I saw a cartoon a little while back about, uh, you know, somebody that uh, was was dictating or, you know, chat GPT wrote a, an email for them. And then they, they sure. sent it. And uh, so they, they gave it a summary, chat GPT turned it into an email, they sent it on to somebody mm -hmm. else who had AI on their side that took the email and then generated a summary for them. So yep. it's, it's, AI is just talking to itself. And that's, that's the other thing that philosophically, at some juncture, you know, AI is all built on human interaction. Right. And, you know, the, the language models and everything needs human interaction in order to continue to learn. And then... Is it going to be in a death loop where it, at some juncture, it doesn't learn anymore because it's just learning from itself? But I don't think, again, I'm not machine learning. That's, I know enough to be dangerous, but sure. I'll probably, I'm sorry if you get a ton of like comments that says <laughs> like, guy's an idiot, like that's never going to happen. But I anyway, like, so, to think about, you know, like, will we get to a point to where, you know, the machine is, can't learn anymore because there's no human experience anymore that's feeding it. The singularity where the, the, the results are the same, you know, no matter, exactly. no matter what. Yeah. Exactly. Which I, like I said, I'm sure you're going to get some comments <laughs> and hopefully 
that boosts your SEO and whatnot that I made like a stupid AI comment that has no relevance at all. But just I want to preface that this is what goes on in my head. It might not be right. I still need to research it anyway. That's my caveat. Well, I think that's helpful. I mean, just hearing, you know, different things from from people about what is going on in their heads. Yeah. How are they approaching it? What are they, they doing? How are they using it? How do they see it, it evolving and industries changing? Because there, there's no doubt there will be change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other the other thing that I see a ton of value in and kind of where my head is going is service-based in- industries or older industries that are going to evolve rapidly with the advent or the addition of AI. Like, how do we take a old industry and interject SaaS with AI with, you know, like those are the types of businesses that now I'm thinking about is going, okay, where's an old service industry? Where is something that nobody's touching, right? Like a great one, I was uh, playing golf, a big golfer um, in Hawaii, and I ran across a guy, this was just when ChatGPT came out. And we were BSing whatever, and he, he owned a title company down in Iowa. And he, you know, does titles, yada, yada. And I'm like, wow, you know, obviously text ton of, you know, they were talking a lot about like how it's going to replace lawyers because it can, you know, read a contract, rewrite contracts, all this kind of thing. That was like the big use case when it first came out that was top of mind for me. So I started talking to him and I go, well, what, you know, like, how is this chat? And he's like, well, I don't know, whatever. He kind of brushed it off. And I'm like, what if I could do something with chat GPT? Like, where do you, where do you, where's the most amount of expense for you? It's like, well, in people pulling records, right? And I'm like, well, is that available on the internet? Yeah, but you got to search, you got to log in, you got to do that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, you see where it's going, right? right, right. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, what if I could automate that? And he's like, well, that would save me 150 grand a year. And I'm like, boom, there you go. Like, that's the kind of stuff that is going to continue to evolve. And then, you know, we're going to have this rapid, rapid growth. And then it's going to kind of plateau and figure itself out. And we're going to have a long period of like, what AI actually is and what all the industry and what SaaS has evolved into and who knows how the blockchain is going to figure right. into this whole thing. And then the dust will settle and we'll go, oh, okay, now we can breathe. Let's go. But right now I feel like I'm drowning in information every day. So yeah. I hope if anybody else is, I am with you and I am just trying every day to learn a little bit and understanding that I'm not going to learn everything. And as long as I'm heard a great, great quote, on self-reflection, if I could talk, um, that at the end of every day, look at yourself. And if you move the needle towards the person or the direction that you want, even if it's just a fraction, revel in that success, like understand that success. But if you didn't have that pain be equally as great Mm, that you didn't move the needle, but even if it's just a little bit, and I think it's more meant for the other side of moving the needle, even just something yeah. is so valuable and don't get down on your, like I would get down on myself that I don't have it all figured out because 
I think that's the thing is for the longest time, I felt like I had to figure it out. Like, okay, I understand SAS. I understand you do this, 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 and we go. And as an operator, I like my sequence of events and knowing how to, how to do that. And AI, I think has just kind of made me extremely uncomfortable in the fact that I don't know that anymore. And I need to go refigure that all again, out again. And it's kind of why I feel like a founder, like it's exciting and scary and fun and yeah. So anyway, that's my ramble. Well, I think you're right because AI is something that's different. I mean, you can take things, this goes in the sales box, this goes in the marketing box, this goes over here and it it makes sense. And then you get AI and well, now all the boxes have just been emptied out and where does it all fit? I don't know. And it changes on an ongoing basis. So our normal has definitely been disrupted, but that gives us a lot of opportunity as well. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to always stay focused on is the opportunity <laughs> without being freaked out in my mind that it's all of a sudden going to take all our jobs and do all yeah. this craziness. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't buy into it, but I can't tell you that I haven't thought about it. Right. Of course, like of course. something comes out where it's like, yeah, click two buttons and a website's made and you're off and running. And I'm like, oh, so these people aren't needed. <laughs> But how do I leverage, you know, so right, right. it's it's all in perspective it at is. the end of the day. It is. So as easy as it is to create SaaS applications, now what prevents, you know, a thousand copycats? Like, I mean, we've seen, I, at least I, I feel this way, that there's CRMs now for everything. Right? Every time I turn yep. around, a new CRM company. So I mean, mm-hmm. how do you prevent those copycats or how do you, you know, be a step better? Yep. So... To me, the way I think about it is the same way when I first started, I thought you could go to a, make a cool idea, go to a patent office, uh, you know, like I got this great website idea for a golf app that does this or website and go to the patent office and then nobody can do it. And it's like, well, you change one line of code and it doesn't right. matter. So same kind of idea here is what I'm driving at and kind of coming full circle to the three legs of the stool, it's so relevant to one brand. And I'm sure everybody talks about this. Like, who are you? What is your niche? What have you evolved into your direction, your product market fit, all these different kinds of things that everybody talks about, but really front of the house, who's the face? Or if your business is the face, what is the brand? What is the feel? What is the you know, that makes you different from another copycat that just popped up, right? They might be cheaper, but, you know, like you think of customer service tools, there's Intercom, there's Help Desk or Help Scout, Zendesk, there's Talk, there's a billion of them, but they all thrive in this ecosystem and they have their different place, their different brand. You know, like Intercom is the high level, like crazy, they're integrating AI all the time. Help Scout is a little bit more reasonable. You have then Zendesk that tries to do every plugin possible. And, you know, like, who are you trying to satisfy towards? And just know that in tech, there's always going to be competition. Like, yes, doesn't matter. I mean, period. It's so whenever I'm starting a new business and somebody's like, whoa, did you see this competition? I'm like, yes, it's, that's <laughs> Par for the par for the course. I've right. never gotten into an industry that's been like, oh, it's only you. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, blue ocean. Right. Yeah, oh, that's easy. Yeah, right. everywhere. Nothing but opportunity. <laughs> Nothing but opportunity. No right. problems. Easy peasy. They start printing your checks now. 
So there's always going to be competition, but differentiation in brand. And the other one that I've found is customer service or customer success, like it's called right now. So where we, especially in my last uh, exit, were so different was our customer service. And to me, I feel like it's dead in the industry. And when I find it, it blows my mind. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we made it a point that Every email that we we were the first one to start using Loom in responses. Okay. So every response would get a custom Loom video because one, it was faster than typing. I could show their account and our customers, it, it solved two problems. Like they would get a custom Loom video that was us talking and saying, hey, Sarah, you know, I see your account does this. You can do this, 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 and this, and boom, send it in two minutes compared to that email to type would have taken 10 to 20. So we were faster. We were more customized. We made sure that every response actually had an answer. Like nothing drives me crazier than when I contact customer support and they have some canned BS response that then I have to reply saying, I know that. I already read that article. <laughs> right. If you would have read my response, you would see that I've documented all the steps. I need an actual real answer. Right. And then it's got to go to tier two and I get another. Like, like it went to tier one. It got answered. It came back. And the third thing that we always did was if we couldn't fix the problem, we always provided a workaround and tried to think two steps ahead of the user. And because the customer service is seeing that a lot of the questions come across, right? Like, how do I do this? What do I do here? Blah, 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 blah. We would train and we would really work with our customer success team to say, okay, give them the next two questions, answers to the next two questions that you know are going to come back in that response, in that Loom video, because it's just, and we, our NPS was through the roof and when we had bugs, people were happy, didn't care because they knew we would listen, that we would give them workarounds, that we would fix it, that all this stuff strictly came from just being hyper attentive to customer service and super anal with that. So if there's a differentiator, customer success in my mind is the... I don't want to say easiest because you got to put the work in, you got to do the training, the documentation right. and really kind of set your processes up. But it's not from a financial standpoint, I could say that that is going to, the amount of money that you need to put in compared to the differentiation gap is going to be massive. And that's what I saw. So every new SaaS product I start, Customer service is so critical in that realm that you can just actually answer their question. And, it, you know, like Amazon. Amazon is my, oh my God, don't even get me started on Amazon. <laughs> and their API and their API team. And just, it, it, I understand Amazon in like their pizza box mentality where you should have a team that is, that can share a pizza. Right. It's a pizza, you know, so everybody's siloed and everybody that's their teams, but nobody knows what everybody else is doing. 
and nobody can answer a question and nobody can take action and nobody can fix a problem. You know, like we implemented kind of the, the mentality of, um, uh, I read a, what is it? Ritz Carlton does this really well, yeah. where the Ritz em- empowers every employee to Correct. fix a problem as long as it's within a certain dollar range. Yep. Like you don't have to ask, you don't have to do anything, just fix it because that's customer service. That's what you're expecting. And that's kind of the mentality that we tried to have was provide Ritz Carlton service to somebody that's paying $79 a month in the Amazon space, who is used to some of the worst customer service on the planet. And it was, I mean, that in conjunction with having good software and good blah, blah, blah helped. But I mean, that's what got us over a lot of humps and got us great reviews and everything. And even when we had bugs, we would have, I mean, I remember a time where we were down for 24 hours or something. Like I was losing my mind, but because we had such good customer service and communication and everything and all that people were like, ah, that sucks. Okay. Well, let us know, you know, and we would respond and, and that, you know, people were yelling, but as soon as you responded and you addressed, like, calm down. Like sometimes people just want to be heard. And so customer service, another tangent that I could go down. But to me, that's the differentiator is brand and customer service, which you could argue your brand is your customer service sure. and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's really important because you're making those investments. And then when things don't go well, then that, mm-hmm. that's the withdrawal. And the problem is when when you haven't made those investments and you haven't poured in, then every little thing, it could be a tiny bug, but it becomes a big deal because you haven't made those investments. Oh, this company is not responsive. Or the software is terrible. And it can be something that's small, but because Mm -hmm. you haven't put in, you you don't have the, the right to withdraw. Exactly. And that's a, I mean, that's another place that I think AI is going to improve the customer service and customer success experience, but it won't replace good human interaction Correct. at the highest level, right? Like yeah. it may become faster and smarter and it is right at like, you already see it in searches like, Hey, is this what you're looking for? Blip, right, blip, right. Blip. But at the same time, those are really great but I still have to then click on the link, dive into the article, find the spot that is actually relevant to me or watch the video where it's actually relevant. So now my frustration is continuing to elevate. Whereas if you have that in conjunction with super fast, responsive, high, highly competent customer success teams, I mean, that's lethal from a retention and churn standpoint. You're going to, we kept people for way longer than we probably should have if we wouldn't have done those things. Makes a lot of sense. What's been the greatest lesson that you've learned? I mean, building you know the third company now, greatest mm-hmm. lesson through the journey. Um, yeah, it's it's the progress over. I it kind of goes back to the progress over perfection, and it's. Continuing, if you believe in it, if you know it's got legs, if you're continuing to iterate and learn and push forward, it's like not, it sounds so cheesy, like a flipping Nike commercial, but it's, (laughs) 
it's true. Like you wake up some days and you're like, oh yeah, sales are down or blah, blah, yeah. blah, whatever, like whatever. But continuing to push, continuing to evolve because I mean, in my last company, if all I was doing was looking at the P&L statement, while obviously it's important, if that's all I cared about, I don't think I would have pushed through to get it to that other level, to have right. the passion, to have... I think uh, Steve Jobs said it best where you need to either have passion or be insane when you're an entrepreneur because you're going to get punched in the face so many times that only a passionate or insane person would continue to push past those right. roadblocks or situations or, you know, I, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's so true. And I go through it every day. And even with AI now, like I'm going through it more than I have in the past five, six years, because I'm just learning all new things and ideas and ways of thinking that I'm continuously trying and failing and failing and failing and failing until something hits. And it's, to me, it's a, I, being an entrepreneur and being in SaaS and enjoying this, this process is what I've learned over the years I enjoy right, is my purpose, is what gives right. me, where when I first started, I didn't necessarily know that. And somebody might find that they enjoy a different part of the SaaS business. And that's where I came to realize, like, I'm an operator. I need somebody else that is really good at marketing. Well, I know enough to be dangerous in all the different facets of the three-legged stool that I talk about. I, that's not what excites me. Like excites me to have a smooth running business that I can wake up, have my coffee, check my analytics, know who did what, and then be able, if there's a problem that comes up to be able to diagnose it and fix it. Or if there's a new process that needs to be made to, to build that and to, to keep working myself out of a job, figure something out, build it, create a process, employ, train, like that's what we did with customer success. That's what we've done with so many things. So um, it's a roundabout answer of kind of plugging it all all together. Outstanding. Well, where can people learn more about you and about SAS Pathway online? So right now you can go to saspathway.com. It's got a opt-in form and then you can see a little uh, called VSL or video sales letter where it talks about myself and kind of the process. And then from there you can book uh, kind of book a call to see if it's for you, if it makes sense and and go from there. So um, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing crazy. We're, we're pretty much practicing what we preach. We get it online and we work with people to iterate and really focus on where the value is on the process. And we want to talk to people to understand what their idea is, what the direction is, what we're going to provide value to them for. Because Honestly, the some of the even some of the courses and some of the stuff that I filmed three, four months ago, I'm having to reiterate just because the industry's evolving and that's where we do roundtables and constant <laughs> communication. So yeah. um that's where they find me. Go to SAS Pathway, watch the letter if uh the VSL if it speaks to you. Awesome. I'd love to talk to you and see if uh you know if we make sense. If not. You know, there's so many tutorials. There's so many things online. It's just, I'm trying to cut a lot of the noise out and help push somebody. You know, it's time or money, right? If right. you got all the time in the world, 
there you can find everything that I'm going to teach you online. Or if you want me to like hone you in and say, this is the direction go, like I talked about earlier. So you don't feel consistently stuck in the mud and you can continue to push that rock forward. That's, that's the value that I'm providing. Outstanding. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Uh, Dan, really enjoyed our conversation sure. today. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And check out the video cast on YouTube also. Just search SASFuel and there we are. Either way, subscribe and follow the show, whatever platform you like, including YouTube. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a DIY solar oven kit. Perfect for cooking your meals using the power of the summer sun. Maybe using those ingredients to bake your execution cake. Uh, you can also roast your competitors with it too. Join us next time on our SAS Fuel Expert Series. We have a special treat on Thursday. Rachel Perinello, principal at the Alexander Group, a leading revenue growth management consultancy. If you want to know what the top minds in SaaS are thinking about sales compensation, alignment with RevOps, and SaaS pricing strategies, this is the episode for you. It's absolute fire. There is a good, good reason companies pay big bucks to borrow their brains at the Alexander Group, and Rachel is going to be bringing her amazing brain on Thursday. So you want to check that out. Next Tuesday, our founder series, we have Charles Darrow, CEO and co-founder of Bizop, a process management software. Before Bizop, his expertise was in UX design and product management, and they are cranking up business processes to 11. So it's a great episode. You'll want to check that out on next Tuesday and then Rachel Thursday. So I will see you next time. Have a great weekend. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.